Kim Patrol. Um, By the way, she is gorgeous in this movie. That's one of the Sex and the City girls. I that's yeah, I know that woman. I Samantha. I, I couldn't even Not put, that I'm a fan. You can Nick, you can be a fan of Sex and the City. No, I'm just right? saying I'm literally not a fan. I just know she's I'm a fan of Kim Cattrall. Sound, speeding, camera, rolling. Scene ten, take three oh three, mark. Welcome to Take Three O Three, powered by Four Way Media, the podcast with the guy who knows a lot about film. And his friend. I'm Nick Molinari. I'm JP Brooks. We're talking film, television, and today we're talking about The Way Way Back and Mannequin. This week we're doing an episode of Nick and JP's Picks. Uh, JP picked The Way Way Back. I picked Mannequin. I think just because I like to mess with JP. Yeah. Never know what you're going to get with Nick's picks. So, uh, But we're starting with mine. It's an ensemble film directed by Jim Rash and Nat Faxon, who also are in the cast, uh, among many other names like Steve Carell, Tony Collette, Allison Janney, Anna Sophia Robb, Sam Rockwell, Maya Rudolph, Liam James, Rob Corddry, and Amanda Peet. The Way Way Back is about a young boy named Duncan who is traveling with his mom, her boyfriend, and the boyfriend's daughter on their way to the boyfriend's summer home, Steve Carell's character, Trent. And upon arrival, the boy must navigate what could be, well, what is a new boyfriend for his mom after recently um, his parents have been divorced. And while he's at the summer home, he discovers a water park and befriends the owner or the owner befriends him. It's hard to say. And it's a coming of age tale. So I don't think I need to say any more than that. I think it's a really solid movie. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I do think it gets a little cliche at some times where it feels like I've seen this movie just because mm-hmm. like I think all coming of age films kind of fall into that category where the script kind of feels so perfect where you don't know what's going to happen next, but you can kind of feel what the next line is at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's just like general vibe formula. Yeah. And speaking of formula, what I love about this movie is the cast, and then I think it's not your typical formula. But at the same time, I feel like it does add a little bit of freshness to it. Uh, I think like Allison Janney just kind of plays Allison Janney at this point. Oh, she but she's really she was great. Which uh, Allison Janney for those is the drunk, the constantly drunk neighbor next door. Also, Sam Rockwell. There's very few roles where like he plays like a different character, but a lot of times he's playing just Sam Rockwell, and he's just rocking out by himself. He's having a good time. I didn't know that this was the Iron Man 2 villain, by the way. I didn't know who Sam Rockwell was, or I didn't recognize him, and so I only know him from this. This is what I associate him with, whereas other people definitely don't. Yeah, no, I associate him probably with Charlie's Angels. Oh, he's the bad guy in that too? Yeah, he's the the one who's like, they're trying to save him, and then he turns out to be the bad guy. Yeah. He has such like a generic face that I don't... I, I mean, he's been churning out really good performances, but like he's been getting recognized uh, probably like since like three billboards, um, but he was also in Moon. So there's a lot of really great performances that he's that he's putting out there. And since it's an ensemble cast, I think the first question obviously has to be, who who's your favorite character? Who's giving off the best performance? And I think for me, I think the easy pick is Sam Rockwell. I think he just sells his character so well. And you we talked very briefly about this when you said Steve Carell. Yeah. Like how much of a dick he plays in this movie. And when Sam Rockwell, because there's this whole like father figure kind of situation going on, like Sam Rockwell is the better father figure for this kid. And Steve Carell is the the almost stepdad uh, in, in the sense. So he's like supposed to be the father figure, but he's not a good one at all. 
and when they finally confront each other i thought it was going to be like a crazy stupid love situation again where sam rockwell is going to be like oh so you're trent and like just just punch him right in the face that's what yeah, i thought was that would happen. have been way too 80s for me maybe that would have happened in the mannequin yeah um, or demolition man um but no, I think you're right. It is formulaic, but I think they do enough different and new things where it still checks the boxes, but it does it in ways I think you don't expect or it does it in refreshing ways. Obviously, this is a new movie. It's not for me. I was shown this movie about a year ago uh, by good family friends of mine who have made me watch movies. I've mentioned them before. Sure. So I was under the impression that you saw this when it originally came out. And it's actually surprising that you just saw it like last year, did yeah. you say? Yeah. Uh, because for me... I was thinking about the coming of age genre in itself and how relatable it is to so many people because we've all been there. We've all had our awkward stage. We've all had our questions and, you know, growing up situations where things didn't make sense to us then and now they do. And we learned a lot of life lessons. And uh, I can't tell you, after I uh, reviewed it, I, I looked at my letterbox and there were so many people writing in their reviews saying i wish i had a cool sam rockwell to tell me life lessons at a a water park over the summer but when i think about coming of age movies i think one of my favorites and i think it might be the best coming of age uh film that i've ever seen the breakfast club have you seen it i have i would thought you were gonna say boyhood no i i I think Boyhood is okay. I think it's over. I, I think it was, it was made popular by the gimmick. But tell me more about The Breakfast Club. Okay. So The Breakfast Club, I think, is just so iconic and so perfect in so many ways. I think it, it broke down exactly the stereotypes that you see in a high school. Almost everyone falls into the five categories that lay, they laid out in the movie. And Breakfast Club is not the fun movie that ABC Family makes it out to be every time I see a trailer for it. I didn't see The Breakfast Club probably until, I want to say I was in college. I saw it very late in the game. And when I saw it, I was like, what is this? I always see commercials of like Emilio Estevez and the gang just kind of running around the school and they play the you know really good pop music and they're just vibing. And then they start getting in a circle and talking about really like, dark things that they went through i think there are when it comes to coming of age stories there are two layers the first layer is the basic thing that a kid gets out of it like the point at the end of the way way back is you're not a three you're more than that in the beginning of the movie steve carell's character trent asks duncan who's in the back while everyone else is sleeping in the car what would you rate yourself out of 10 and duncan kind of pauses hesitates doesn't really want to answer but he says i guess a six and Steve Carell's character, Trent, says back to him. That kind of answer and attitude, I don't really see you going for it in life. That kind of, that, that's a three. You're a three, Duncan. Out of ten. Which is like, if five is the middle of the normal, that's, what an awful score to give someone, let alone tell a teenager. What a great way to establish a character within just a few lines and in one scene. Something that Fast X could not. <laughs> Yeah, and I think we've all been there. Six, a reasonable answer. Kind of feels sad that maybe he doesn't rate himself higher. Automatically like that answer from somebody, and you or you feel for him at least sympathetic. And then yeah, it's like a humble answer. Humble answer, or at least somebody who was like, "Ah, oh, dude, you should feel a little bit better about yourself." So sympathetic, and then instantly we have this other character who, like, "Oh, I'm just gonna hate this guy throughout the whole movie." 
Yeah, and he has, like, the number already. Like, you feel like he had yeah. it ready to go. It's a loaded question, and he knows exactly where this conversation is going to go. And this is not Steve Carell from The Office. This is no, not Michael. Different. This is this is not Michael Scott. This is Steve Carell playing a jerk, and he does it beautifully. Yeah. I think he's definitely a standout for me. If it's not for Sam Rockwell, I think Steve Carell really killed it, even though his role isn't even that big in, in it because there's so many different characters. Uh, favorite scene in the film, and I told you this is a good one. I hope we're on the same page as this. Uh, my favorite scene is the Candyland scene. Oh, <laughs> you know that one is still brought up to debate by the family I watched it with. They're just like, why? Because they, they they all like it or they all hate it. No, they all like that scene. Oh, you, why do you love that scene? So I love that scene because there's just there's so many layers to it. Yeah, there, the 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 mom and the dad are fighting. Over Candyland rules, they're hundred percent not fighting over Candyland rules. They're fighting over uh, what they want to do. One wants to go out, one wants to stay in, and they're making it about Candyland, and it's so passive aggressive. Like this is exactly how it would go down. And then the kids are just there, and the daughter for some reason is really like into Candyland, even though it's like outside of her character to care, but she cares right now about it. Because I took that as Duncan. And I don't know what his step future kind of steps is, but they are perfect reflections of their parents. Like Trent's an asshole, his daughter's an asshole. Tony Collette doesn't stand up for herself. Duncan doesn't stand up for himself. So that's what I like in that scene. It kind of just shows like, oh yeah, this daughter she hasn't been an asshole in thirty minutes. So let's make sure we have a moment. <laughs> but now she's like kind of awkward about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably my favorite scene, just because it's. It's just unnecessarily funny to me about them fighting over Candyland. And she's like, it's the fucking rules. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So many good moments in the movie. I think while, while you're thinking, I have another one. Sure. Um, so another scene that I really enjoyed, the kind of luau barbecue kind of thing, uh, where uh, Duncan ends up standing up for himself in, in yeah. a little bit, like the beginnings of it, where he's like uh, yelling at his mom to stand up for herself. And tell off Steve Carell's character for uh, cheating on him. Cheating on her. Yeah. I think there was just so much anger pent up with him. And when Steve Carell gets in on it, it's like, no, buddy, that's not your time to talk at all. And he's like speaking for Duncan's father. I was like, yeah. oh. I was like, I've never been in this situation before. I was like, I just know that's wrong. You don't jump in there. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I I think the scene I love the most probably him saying goodbye to Sam Rockwell. And that for me is more on a personal level. I mean, I relate to this movie a lot. Uh, my parents, my parents are divorced, so I've been there, and I've seen you know, uh, people date and things like that. So I've been there too, and I remember like the one magical summer that changed my life. And I've worked at camps or something like a water park. And you meet people there that maybe you never see again. But they make a really big impact on your life. And I can think of a couple in particular um, who I worked two summers at a summer camp with. And uh, great people that really, uh, really impacted me in my life. And I'm very grateful to them. And so I just think about those people. And I just think about this movie a lot. And feeling awkward. And not always fitting in. And this movie, I think, encapsulate and really 
everybody I think really can relate to this movie in a lot of way. It's just for me in, in a in a very special way, and there's probably other people who feel that way too. I just think about other moments in my life that's like, oh yeah, that's what that was. And how do you not smile in this movie, right? It's a very like you know, charming kind of movie. That's the word that comes to mind. And I didn't want to pry too much yeah. into your life, yeah, sure. if you don't mind I, putting you on the spot. Um, similar to like Chase and his background. Yeah. Um, do you think this movie gets it right in the way that relationships are portrayed between certain characters? Definitely. Oh yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I can think of lots of people who who are the Sam Rockwells, who are who like who like see a kid and take him in. I've definitely been there. I think there's been a lot of good male father figures in my life that where I felt lost have taken me in and um you know been at times for me maybe what I lacked in other departments um or just that moment of like oh a girl likes me like that's I I don't care what you say I like if I I would love to have kids someday Chris and I you know when we get married I would love to have kids I can't wait for my son to come home and I think it was, as a guy, probably relate more to this. For my son to come home and tell me like he kissed a girl for the first time, like I want to high like, five. I like I want to throw a party for that. Yeah. Uh, I, I I can't. Uh, every time that he interacted with the love interest in this movie, Duncan, and he just like struck himself out in a sense. It's like, <laughs> like yeah, like we're trying to talk about weather out here, like, and then she's walking away and she's like, oh, I thought we were done with this conversation. I was like. My guy, I've been there. I think we've all been down on the dumps on ourselves. We've all been in a situation of where we don't, where we feel like a three, where we think people think of us as a three. We've all been, yeah, there's just an awkward stage of growing up and having to deal with it. And there is a summer, there is a point. Summer is magical. I know for me, they were with all the different trips I got to go on, the experiences, very grateful. You know, my parents let me go on those things and let me experience, you know, and meet lots of different people. And I imagine Duncan as a character, but I hopefully you at home, like think about a moment or a summer or something, just some weird, you got to a place and you met these people that you probably won't ever see again, but had a big impact on you. And their summer has that magic, especially when you're a kid. This movie is very much about the story. It's about the performances. It's not doing anything outside of that cinematically. I feel like uh, there were a lot of scenes where I wish maybe the camera did something different i think on a cinematography level i think i would have wanted like more out of it i think there there's so much beauty that they could have explored at the water park and stuff like that um that just didn't happen but it's like minor critiques uh, at this point and i think just in general i was like how rich is this family that like nobody has to work all summer yeah all these families right yeah it's interesting. So I definitely can't relate on that level, but... Yeah, like, we didn't have that. <laughs> my but, family, uh, yeah, my parents were working hard. Since we're talking about coming-of-age movies, yeah, I think it's only uh, fair that we we throw out a, a couple of our favorites. So top five coming-of-age movies. Sure. So my uh, my top five are going to be very basic because I don't watch a lot of movies, but it's The Way, Way Back, in no particular order. The Way, Way Back, Eighth Grade, The Breakfast Club, The Perks of Being a Wallflower... And dare I say, oh, Boyhood. I like Boyhood a lot. So, yeah. All right. So for me, I'm going to go Breakfast Club. Yeah. I'm going to go uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, I really like The Spectacular Now. I haven't seen that. 
Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I don't know if it counts, but I'm going to say Super Bad. You know what's crazy? I just Googled it and Super Bad came up. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's awesome. Perfect topic. All right, so those are my top five. Dear listener, if you're watching on the video on Spotify, I really encourage you to watch The Way Way Back. Everybody can relate to it. You'll be able to relate to something unless somehow you just had an easy middle school and high school and you were just the cool kid and never had any problems. Uh, go fuck yourself and don't watch the movie. <laughs> I don't have to tell you. <laughs> if you've never been awkward or been rejected, fuck you, all right? <laughs> if you peaked in high school, this is not the movie for, it's not you. movie for you. Yeah, if you peaked, this is not you. Really great movie. Uh, I'm also going to put it in as one of the movies that we've watched this season that has made me cry. Uh, I think I cried twice during the film, uh, during the Duncan yelling, uh, at the mom to, to stand up for herself. And then also him saying goodbye to Sam Rockwell. Uh, so very emotional, very relatable, a little bit cliche, but not too much to the point where it can still feel original. And I think it, it's very entertaining. It's very charming. It's very sentimental. It's very nostalgic in a sense. And it's funny. It, it's hysterical, yeah. Um, so for that, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5. It's my pick. This, just because you pick movie doesn't mean it's a 5 out of 5. But I think the great cast, the writing for this movie feels so natural. feels like real dialogue, which for a comedy movie, it's not necessarily a comedy one. It's like coming-of-age comedy. But it does a really good job making things feel like real characters. I think the performances are great. I think How Do You Not Root for Duncan... But I think even a lot of the side characters are so well fleshed out, they almost steal the show away from it. Just because of how this movie makes me feel, I have to give it a 5 out of 5. And I'm so grateful that I got to watch this movie. So thank you. Thank you to you know who you are. So uh, this is a good time for a commercial break. When we return, we're going to talk about my pick, Mannequin. <laughs> Can't wait. This podcast is sponsored and powered by Fort Way Media. If you have a big event coming up, a wedding Maybe your small business needs some advertisement on social media. Then Fort Way Media is the choice for you. Fort Way Media makes everyday life into a cinematic experience. Do not let your moments go missed and do not let them not be captured. Call Fort Way Media today. Book an event. Book us for a time slot so that way you don't miss out on another cinematic experience. And we're back. So we're we're excited. I'm excited to talk about this movie Let's because... This movie has been talked about by so many different people for being one of the worst movies that has come out in Hollywood. At the same time, it's also been applauded at the Oscars. It, it, got, it scored one nomination for original song. And also it appeared in a Family Guy episode. I sent you the, the link right after you saw the movie uh, where Peter uh, pops in the, the movie that uh, when, you, when you watch the tape... It kills you after seven days, and the joke is that it's supposed to be the video from the ring, but instead it's a scene from Mannequin. Get all <laughs> What's the song? Uh, nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. Yeah. That's an original from that movie? It was made for the movie. It's such an iconic song. It's such an iconic song, and now that you know where it comes from. All right, 1987's Mannequin, directed by Michael Gottlieb. It stars Andrew McCarthy, Kim Cattrall, Estelle Getty, James Spader, G.W. Bailey, Meshash Taylor, Carol Davis. Mannequin is about a down-on-his-luck guy who keeps jumping from job to job because he can't seem to hold one down because he always screws something up because he's too much of an artiste. And rather than doing the job correctly, spends way too much time on that. 
He somehow, by circumstance, lands a job at a department store, and while spending one night in the department store working, a mannequin turns to life, turns into a real woman. What happens is, the mannequin comes to life after he falls asleep, he wakes up, and the mannequin and him during the night worked on the storefront display, and it attracts lots of customers, which leads him to a quick promotion, and now he has to keep up the act, otherwise he'll lose his job. And that was a long description for, I tried to make as much as I can, so I gave a lot of detail there, but all you need to know is a mannequin comes to life, and that's it. That's literally the plot. You don't need all the other stuff. A dude gets a job at a store, a mannequin there comes to life, it allows him to keep his job, and that's it. It's a rom-com. It's a rom-com, kind of. Yeah. Um, now, did you watch this with Krista, or you watched this by yourself? I watched this with Krista, as I do most of these movies. And Krista, how did she feel about it? We just turn like, I'm like, did I miss it? Why? What made her come to life? <laughs> like, did I miss it? <laughs> what happened? She goes, no, she just <laughs> is alive. I said, oh, okay. Yeah, so the beginning, it starts off with uh, the, the woman who become, who is the mannequin. Uh, she's actually from ancient Egypt. And her family is trying to marry her off. And she doesn't want to marry the person that they set her up with. Uh so she, you know, asks the gods to help her out and they end up sending her through time and they do that through like a, a comic animation and they show her going through like different uh, periods of time and she alludes to this uh, during some of her oh. conversations. She alluded to it. I didn't get the opening was, oh, I didn't care because like. You thought it was opening credits. Yeah. Yeah, no. So they actually show like her meeting up with Columbus and Michelangelo and all these different things. And she eventually says, like, Michelangelo was gay, and that's why, you know, she bounced from there. But she went through all those time periods, and then they actually show you in the animation that uh, she ends up in the, the mannequin factory, and then that's the mannequin that goes down the conveyor yeah. belt, and then we end up in Philadelphia today. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Because I was even thinking, like, oh, I kind of miss opening credit intro sequences like that. I really like when opening credits complement a movie and they're not just names on a screen. Yes, and it like tells you something, gives you some background. Because I actually enjoyed it, even though I didn't relate the two to the story. As we said, it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song. The song was written directly for this movie. And outside of that, they also have some pretty good tunes and some music uh, throughout the film. Uh, in that opening credit scene, it was a song by Belinda Carl Carlois. I don't know if you're, she's the Heaven is a Place on Earth girl. Oh, yeah. We can build it. Uh, copyrights. Uh, so let's not, let's not. <laughs> no, you can use, you get 10 seconds. Okay. Did you know that? You get 10 so seconds. So give me, give me, give me 10 seconds of Heaven is a Place we, on Earth. Oh, no, I was going to do, we can build this world together. Yeah, fair use is 10 seconds. I learned that from another podcast I listened to. You okay. I don't want to get Marvin Gaye out here. <laughs> anyway. I'm just going to say, in general. Yeah. It's going to get very hot in this room. <laughs> Uh, I love this movie. <laughs> of course you do. It's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, Letterbox has this thing on the main page of your profile. You can put your top four, and I always recycle my top four every few uh, months. And there was a period in my life where Mannequin was sitting in the top four for me. Uh, I just find this movie very entertaining. I think it's very uh, charming. It's very sentimental it, it oozes like the vibes of the 80s like it's very much a product of its time and i don't think 
we have those kind of comedies anymore uh you can definitely say for the better you probably are thinking that but i don't think there's a lot of sentimental comedies i think what we get now is a lot of like raunchy bathroom humor a lot of sexual humor there's not a lot of fantasy in our comedies anymore and i think that's something that i i really like yeah i i agree so before you think i'm gonna take a dump on this because you may because i might but it's a very charming movie and I'm not. So here's a big thing. All right, let's let's have a quick chat, Spotify listeners, because I know there's some of you out there that hate my take on Demolition Man. Hell, I know all of Reddit hates my take on Demolition Man. Here's the biggest difference with these two movies. Mannequin knows what it is, okay, and it accepts what it is, and it leans in. Demolition Man does not. Demolition Man has an identity crisis, and nobody likes to see a grown man with an identity crisis. Figure it out. Mannequin is a grown man who does know who he is. And I accept Mannequin for what it is. Doesn't mean it's great. Doesn't mean it's good. It means it is charming and I enjoy it. Stop it. It's interesting because there was actually a realistic version made of this movie. I don't know if they did it on purpose or if they were like directly referencing it. But you can't see this movie and not remember Mannequin. Uh, Lars and the Real Girl. Have you ever heard of this movie? So there's a movie out there starring Ryan Gosling. More Ryan Gosling movies. More Ryan Gosling movies for our active, avid listeners who love good Ryan Gosling, who might want to you know, catch up on some of his filmography before Barbie comes out. Um, I heard that he's singing a song on the soundtrack, too. Oh, that might be good or awful. <laughs> uh, he did. I think he did good in La La Land. I did, too, but it's just it's a Barbie movie. I don't know. What, <laughs> what am I going to get here? I don't know. But more things for you to find out on our episodes in July. But anyways, there is a movie called Lars and the Real Girl. Ryan Gosling stars as a socially inept character who falls in love with a doll. And carries around the real girl throughout the movie. And his family thinks like he's got problems and he needs to meet a real woman. So it's a realistic take of kind of what's happening in this movie minus the fantasy aspect. And it's mostly a drama. It's It has a bit of comedy in there because obviously how could you not? And I think it's just a really good movie to pair, I think, with Mannequin. Well, if you guys not the 80s, thank God this didn't come out. But um, I would say you can't let people know about these movies because the way the world is going, the the sexual deviants that are out there. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of things in Mannequin that do not fly today in 2023. Probably, yeah. Uh, Some of the jokes are hit and miss, and there's a lot of jokes aimed at the uh, gay community. Uh, Not not necessarily jokes, but I guess their portrayal of a gay man. Yeah, like there's one gay character, and he's super flamboyant, and probably played very well in the 80s. Not so much probably with today's audiences. Well, my post actually, because uh, I post on Reddit, I watched an old movie. Shout out to the subreddit. And I'll if, when you make me do some of these, you know, that's where I'll post. That's where I got all the Demolition Man hate. But I found on there that a few uh, people who said that they were gay, that they were gay men, who responded, actually, even though it's a stereotype, loved the character for a couple of reasons. One, it's a likable character. And two, everybody treated the character like everybody else. There wasn't anything special made. It's just the character happened to be gay. I think uh, also the, the the character is played by a gay man. Yeah. 
So I don't know if that helps in the situation. Yeah, I don't think it matters. But I, I just, I just like the character because he actually, he cares. He ca- yeah, he cares about the other character. He's helping him out, and he does move the plot forward, which there's not much. But like, I don't know. He's just he's likable. I like the character, and not just because it's like oh, you just like the stereotypes. No, I just, he's a likable character. How are you not rooting for him? He's rooting for our main character, so I root with him. Yeah, I mean, even when he talks about getting liposuction and having, like, fat just sucked out of him, I think any character, irregardless of sexual orientation, could ask that question. It's like, it'd be great if I could just suck that right out. <laughs> yeah. I think even the character also is in on the joke, too. Yeah. Because there's even that scene when he's like, I got to do something drastic, and then he takes off his, like, funky sunglasses and opens up his, like, uh, like I don't know, it's like his suit is made up of seven different colors, and right underneath it is a regular, just normal guy suit. Yeah. It's like, this is his version. Like, he knows that he's doing all of this yeah. extra stuff. And not that I wanted to make this about, like, gay culture or homosexual culture in any way. But I think this is this movie, one of the things it does get right, which I think a lot of modern television and a lot of modern movies are really screwing up today, is that as flamboyant and as, like, outwardly homosexual Hollywood is that is not his identity like that is not he is not just the gay character because so many movies and television just are checking boxes and are saying oh we need a gay character there's just so much more to people than just that and it's I, also and worth it, noting sorry to cut you off that the character's name is Hollywood and you're not talking about Hollywood in general oh yes correct uh yeah Hollywood is much more than that but I think Hollywood the company the people that make movies where they get it wrong so much is that they make characters and they have no substance. They have a character. It's just this one thing about them and that's their entire identity. Whereas I feel like Hollywood in the movie here, he's an artist just like the other guy and that's how they relate to one another. It just happens. Yeah. And the other, the other part of identity, that's just a side thing. And that's what I appreciate about this movie. And the other things are everyone it plays up their character tropes really well. And so over the top that it is funny. And the movie knows that. It's not trying to portray realistic characters. It's portraying something silly. Because that's what you said in the beginning, that they're very much in on the joke. And one of the characters, I I rewatched it this week in preparation for the podcast. And uh, one of the characters that stuck out to me that I feel like was so over the top that if if I had to pick someone who was delivering the worst performance, I think it's the the ex-girlfriend. I think she yeah, really bad. she's very over the top and some of her lines they're just shouted so loud it feels like they were like dubbed yeah. by another completely different person it just feels like so over the top. Yeah, and another thing that makes this movie from the 80s with that character is the sexual harassment jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's like where you can definitely see the age on this film and certain things that probably now would not be tolerated and not be accepted obviously. Who's a uh, one of your favorite characters if you had to pick one? Kim Cuthrall, is that her name? Kim Cuthrall. Kim Cuthrall. I actually think the mannequin's great. I. Um, By the way, she is gorgeous in this movie. That's one of the Sex and the City girls. I. That's yeah. I know that woman. I. Samantha. I, I couldn't even. Not put, that I'm a fan. You can Nick. You can be a fan of Sex and the City. No, I'm just right? saying. I'm literally not a fan. I just know she's. I'm a fan of Kim Cuthrall. Well, I think she. First off, she's gorgeous in this movie. I didn't even put the two and two together until they uh, until they mentioned it. Until I looked it up, sorry. Um, I like Andrew McCarthy. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. 
He's I didn't realize he's he's like the poster boy for the eighties. He's one of the Brat Pack. So he's mixed in with like um Emilio Estevez, uh Molly Ringwall, he's he's in Saint Elmo's Fire. He was in that group. He was in Pretty in Pink. Uh Saint Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink, I've not seen either of those. So yeah, uh he was in that in that grouping. I've heard of him, at least but I'm just just for the, I know I just upset people when I tell them here because I haven't watched Eddie. This one's for you. Haven't watched either of those. What's same almost fire about? Real sidetrack, quick. Uh, it's something that I didn't understand as a kid, and I feel like I would get more out of it now. Uh-huh. It's a bunch of kids who just graduated like high school, and they're in like I think their first year of college, and they're meeting up for like the first like uh, vacation break, and it's like just a relationship movie, like how they. Uh, oh, relate all, to each I'm other. Assuming they're all different, they've changed. It's not the same. Yeah, yeah coming of cool. age kind of situation. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Very cool. All right. Well, back to the mannequin. I think uh, one of my favorite characters is probably uh, James Spader's character. Is that the guy with the glasses who kind of like wants to? Yeah, that's it? Ultron. Wait, he plays Ultron in the current. Yeah, he's the voice. Of that's Ultron. the voice of Ultron. That's the guy on the blacklist. Wow, I've never seen the blacklist, but I've seen that. Oh, but you've seen the baldy Age guy with the, the the hat and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's him. Wow. Okay. So can we talk about the bad things now? Yeah, we can talk about the bad things. <laughs> so if we uh, if we're gonna get like into Fast and the Furious kind of situation, where we're gonna name just the bad things in Mannequin, go for it. No plot. <laughs> just doesn't exist. Yeah, the movie just jumps around. We just jump from one thing to the next. Nothing's really connected all that well together. Uh, and as many as the overtop performances sort of help, there are some that are really bad. And, like, the writing doesn't... Like, the performance is good. The writing is so bad. Like, it's very 80s in that way. But, like, people just sort of say things. And then there's, like, a music video in the middle of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, like they say things. It doesn't even feel connected to the scene um, at all. So, it's... Nick, it's... it's this is where things go south for me. This really quickly. Keep it going. Keep there's, it going. There, yeah. There's no stakes in this movie. Nobody like. At no point did I worry for anyone or anything. At, for any reason, <laughs> there was nothing. Even during the heist. What heist? When they're trying to steal the mannequin. No, Nick. I did not feel any pressure or tension. No. I had to ask. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's honestly, this is like. This movie should have been a cartoon for like a Saturday, like the adventures of me and my mannequin. That's the name, my mannequin and me. She just turns. He doesn't do anything. In monster movies in like the 30s, they showed transformations of regular guy into the wolf man, but they don't show mannequin into real life person. They just show the mannequin. They cut away to a character and then they have Kim Control going like this, basically like just like standing like this and being like, oh, hey. None of the none of the logic makes sense. There's no, they don't explain anything. Which it's a movie about how you just got to turn your brain off. You got to turn your brain off, and I did. Once I saw the mannequin come to life, I, think, I was like, All I right. think your your warning sign was when I said, "Watch this movie called Mannequin," and then you look at the movie poster, and it's Andrew McCarthy, and on the back of his motorcycle is a mannequin instead of Kim Cattrall. Oh, I didn't look at the post. What? Yeah, that's the poster. Oh, that makes... Oh, gosh. I do like Andrew McCarthy in this movie, by the way. He's very likable. Yeah, I can see why he was big in the 80s. It makes sense. We talked about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Okay. Which was one of our least rated 
movies that we watched. Mm-hmm. And we said, if there's any movie that deserves a remake, the League should get it. Mm-hmm. Do you think Mannequin warrants a remake? Do you think it could even be done? <laughs> no, I don't think it's And possible. make a good movie out of it. Yeah, the, the, I don't... Because if it, it's not a remake, it'd be a totally different movie. Like, because the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen would still have, like, some of the same plot, the same characters. Like, we're getting to the same place, probably, but much differently. The journey. I don't... Let me, let me pitch this out to yeah, you. Yeah, sure. If you made... Not you. But if, if Hollywood made a remake of Mannequin. Yeah. And maybe it was a TV series instead of a film. And instead of... It couldn't be Mannequin. It couldn't be called Mannequin, in a sense, because when she met Columbus and all those guys, there's no way she was a mannequin in a store because that's not what was going on during those time periods. But if there was a girl that traveled through time to meet uh, her soulmate and tried out different time periods and came to life in different ways, that would be a reshaping of the story. Not necessarily... These characters wouldn't come in until much later in the... The series and they would only be in maybe one episode or a few episodes depending on how that that ran like maybe she was with columbus for like four episodes and maybe yeah you really thought of this i'm impressed because but this to me is not a remake this is a completely different movie it it would be a reboot a reimagining it would but again it's stretching it out into a series so it has to delve into something that the movie did not uh so overall ratings and uh, I'm going to go with mine first to infuriate you. Uh, so I'm going to give this movie a 5 out of 5. <laughs> you're not actually, are you? Please tell me you're kidding. Yeah, I'm going to give this an actual 5 out of 5. You, my respect for you as a filmmaker and a movie reviewer and goer, like, go, like, honestly, Nick, you're, you're, all right, I'm going to keep the, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to dress it up a little bit. I apologize for cutting you off. Continue. I think it's just, I think it's just funny. It's original, maybe not the original that we're, uh, jp's looking for uh but i do think it is very charming it is very sentimental it is very over the top it is very turn your brain off and just here's like a you know a funny interesting story uh does everything make sense not really it is the 80s we're not really looking for you know hardcore notebook kind of level uh nuances here but i do think it's just a very general fun movie it could be something, you know, to, to laugh at with a couple of friends. But I do think um, I'm just going to give it a 5 out of 5. It's Yeah. Okay. Well, this movie sucks. Uh, no, it doesn't suck that bad. I may have been hating on it. There are obvious problems with it. I think anybody with a brain sees there are clear issues. But I think the movie knows what it is. And so you can sort of ignore all that. You can have a lot of fun with this movie. Just when I think of good or I think great, when I put that up there, like that's what we... If, Amazing and perfect is a five. Four is great. I have a very different scale than you do. I know you do. Three is good, and two is okay. It's not a three. <laughs> I don't know if it's good, but it's okay. And so that's why I'm giving it a two. Um, I think there are people who probably like this movie more than I do. And for those people who exist, if you're out there. Can I also say Nostalgia Lens? Yeah, I mean, big nostalgia lens, yeah. yeah I, can't, like, I can't. I watched wait. this as a kid. You've given me two nostalgias. I can't wait till I give you two of mine, because I'm going to torture the shit out of you. Because I've, I've already just cranked up a movie from the 90s, I think, that is dog shit. <laughs> Complete dog shit. 
Two out of uh, five, by the way, in case you were keeping track. We, I want to go back. I wonder if there are people out there who've been keeping track of our ratings, and I'd like to hear what like my overall rating is because I really feel like I'm just harsh on fucking movies. We should probably make another uh, spreadsheet. We should do. We should make another spreadsheet for our movies. I'm, well, there's only a few of them, so I'm pretty sure we could go back and check. New spreadsheet coming out. We'll keep it. Patreon members, you'll be able to see our spreadsheet for all the movies we've done and our ratings for them. Yeah. Oh, wow. That means I've got to actually do some work because <laughs> you do everything else. I definitely got to do this. No, I just end up scrubbing through it and seeing what we read. No, I can scrub through it. Uh, you do so much. Okay. You're great. By the way, guys, just so you know, and I'm going to, I don't know how many times, Nick takes what is like two hours of us rambling on podcast episodes we've gotten better good to like an hour and a half at this yeah point. this episode right now is running a uh, one hour and five minutes so we've gotten good at really cutting it down saying the good stuff having good clips we don't really try to bait for content i don't think we just are naturally speaking but nick does a great job of editing this and i know it's only our 10th episode that this is when it comes out but just want to thank everybody uh especially family friends uh people who have shared this with others uh, thank you f- thanks for the support i know it's only 10 episodes but you know, we reached Spotify ambassador ads, and that may seem like a small milestone, but it's a milestone. Every milestone, uh, small or big, I think is meaningful to the both of us. So just want to say thanks. And if you could uh, help us get rich so we can spoil you. So, uh, yeah, just make sure you share, follow. I know we say that all the time, but it would mean a lot. It really does help, like just getting that engagement up and, you know, comment more. If, if you're not already doing it, I know we've seen a few people on like Spotify leave comments for us. Just keep it going and really just encourage other people to do this because I think the fun part about what we're doing is that there's so many people that review movies and we just kind of keep it real. Like that's that's our, our thing. It's like it's two bros just going to the movie theaters and seeing what's out and pairing it with an older movie and then you know we have these episodes where we get to like trade off movie reviews and uh, movie recommendations and i think it's just so fun and that's part of our like our intro is that like i love movies and and you're starting to really get into movies right now um there is something very cool about seeing like a new movie for the first time and and really vibing with that movie and you just that that experience of seeing it and then experiencing it with other people like you know last time we saw spider-man across the spider-verse and the the guys behind us were just a vibe like it's there <laughs> yeah. there's really just something to seeing new movies and getting to experience them and seeing a really good movie that like uh really that you can really connect with like the way way back or uh, something that's really fun to just turn off your brain with like with Man. mannequin it there's just something to it yeah so uh really thank you so much and so for um this is our 10th episode so we said for our 10th episode that uh we would do a q a so this week's poll question of the week is not uh not poll question yeah poll- yeah it's not a question for us to ask you it's questions for you to ask us yeah so we're asking you so this week's question of the week is what do you want to know about the show what do you know want to know about us could be related to movies could be related to other things uh don't ask for my social security number probably won't give you that but yeah, feel free to ask this question. So it'll be on Spotify episode number 10. That'll be our question of the week. What questions do you have for us? And we'll probably answer them. And then what's our poll question? Uh, should Nick keep giving JP horrible movies to review? That is a great question. And then um, uh, maybe a third option. I, I've got them. 
Third option, do you want... Do I enact my revenge? <laughs> do, I, do I start enacting, like, just so, pure yes, anime? yes, no, or as long as JP does it back. Yeah, I think those are great. I'm just letting you know, have you... You're gonna... You are gonna get some of the most anime shit of all time in the most 90s dog movies ever. I can't wait. This has been an episode of Take 303. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following. If you haven't followed us on Instagram or Spotify, please do so. We really appreciate it. We have a Patreon. You can check it out. We have some episodes up there like the pilot, and we did a review of the Ed Sheeran podcast. And we asked some different questions on there, different engagement if you want to take a look. Next episode is Transformers, Rise of the Beasts, and Pain and Gain. And finally, as always, thanks for watching. See you next week.